Hello and welcome back to Axel Nobel's Automotive Insights Refinish podcast, where we discuss news and trends of the automotive and vehicle refinish industry with experts who aim to inform, educate, and generally provide an update for anyone working in or for the industry. My name is Graham Truffle. I am today's host and I'm a Global Key Account Manager within Axel Nobel within Vehicle Refinish. And in today's episode, which is the fourth in the series, we are going to discuss the digitalization of the color process, when it started, why it started, how it can help you in the body shop, where we are today, and where we're going in the future. So I'm really pleased to welcome our topic expert for today, uh, Martijn Steg Inc., Collectors Manager at Axel Nobel. Thanks, Graham. Um, my name is Martijn Stegink, um, and I work as a color tools manager at Axel Nobel. Um, in the automotive and specialty coatings department. Um, and I've been doing so for the past 10 years. Um, and what I mainly focus on is developing um, competitive color tools for our automotive and specialty coatings customers. So that's mainly vehicle refinishes, but also CV, um, aerospace, uh, but also a little bit of yacht coatings. Um, and what we do is um, we create uh, an application that our customers can use to identify the best matching colors um, for their refinished jobs. Um, and what we focus on currently is um, it's, a, it's a cloud color retrieval um, application um, that can be used on any device anywhere. Excellent. So Martin, thanks for that. Now, before we get into digitalization, can you rewind a little bit? Take us back to you know, the beginning of color matching. You know, when I started in this industry sort of way too long ago, it was all very much different. And it'd be great to just, if you could just rewind a little bit and, and just refresh us on where, where we were with the color process before it all started, way before digitalization. Sure. Um, so matching color um, has been a very important part of the process in, in facilitating repair. Um, and what we've been doing with Axon Abel um, is concentrate on creating color imitations. And those color imitations um, have the objective to match um, a color perfectly. But obviously you understand that a product that we use is different from, from what is being supplied to the OEMs. Um, the color that is supplied to an OEM um, usually is a color that dries at a very high temperature. Um, and that makes sense in the production process of the manufacturers, but it does not within your refinished processes. You understand that you cannot um, increase the heat um, of a, on a vehicle um, to to dry the paint, um, because obviously that will that will destroy the car. Um, so what we do is um, we have formulation labs in which we try to imitate the color in the refinished products that we offer to the market, and then for us. Um, it's also a challenge to facilitate a solution to our customers to, to get the color right, to match the right color on the right vehicle. So what we always did in the past is we would create um, visual color documentation, so color chips, if you will, um, so that we have some sort of visual representation for our customers to identify the right color. They could hold it next to the object that they were trying to repair and see if that was a right color match. But you understand that there's only so much color chips that you can supply. Um, it will make the matching process very difficult. 
Um, so what they usually then had to do is they had to look for the best color match and then start tinting. Um, and if you want to start tinting, it requires color knowledge. So it makes it a little bit more difficult. So um, our customers had um, initially color chips and they had formulas uh, supplied to them um, via microfiches. Um, and that technology in particular is uh, printing something on an object and then you can enlarge it. And that was like a pre-digital way of supplying a lot of information to our customers. So they would have a microfiche reader, um, which is just basically um, a method to, to blow up an image, to, to increase the size of the image. So you'd be able to look at text um, through a lens um, and then read it. And that was originally the way that we tried to supply as much information as we could. But in the color retrieval of technology evolution, um, it kind of brings advantages um, that you can measure over two important performance metrics. And that's, and that's where you will see the overlap. So one is the amount of data that you're able to transfer, uh, where we previously had to supply that on microfiches, but now we can do it digitally. Um, and then also the frequency that you're able to update your customers. So if you have to do that on a traditional medium that you have to print, um, you can envision that it's going to require some lead time. So looking back at the past 40 years, um, you see that with each and every technology iteration, the most significant changes are made there on those two levels. So starting out with the formula books, starting out with the microfiches, um, you also have to come up with a proper layout to get those pressed um, and shipping them to the customers. Um, and the amount of colors and formulas um, are then obviously limited to whatever you could read and put in a register. Um, so the way that we were able to print a lot of formulas on one card um, was initially the microfiches, but later we introduced computers. Um, and with the applicable floppy and optical drives, uh, we could incrementally increase the size from, let's say, 360 kilobytes to 1.4 megabytes to 720 megabytes on a CD to 4.7 gigabytes on a DVD. Um, but now that we are in the era of cloud computing, uh, we actually no longer have to worry about capacity. Um, so that's where you see um, the trends um, moving and being able to transfer larger amounts of data um, and then also the frequency that we're able to update uh, that information to our customers. Sure. You know, you just took me back 30 years mentioning things like microfiche and uh, color charts and books and things like that. So uh, thanks for that. But moving on and looking at now turning this towards the customer, you know, who, let's face it, our, our, our customers are body shops. Their business is predominantly driven by time. You know, it's all about how fast they can repair a car. It's all about how many labor sales they do. It's all, everything is driven by time in the body shop. How, do, how does the transition towards digital color sort of help them? So with the, with the migration to a cloud environment, it's a lot easier for us to incrementally um, increase the amount of information that we can publish to our customers. So what is um, driving um, a lot of the technology developments that we do is decreasing the lead time to our customers. So originally it would take 
our systems months to distribute that information to our customers, right? So you can envision that um, um, our customers having to wait for color documentation for it to be created, um, then distributed to our customers would take approximately three months or maybe even longer. Uh, but now that we work digitally, whenever we create something new, we can instantly publish it to a centralized organization, uh, centralized um, location in the cloud. So customers that use our digital spectrophotometers, they have actually access to five times the amount of color formulations and they can get it almost real time. Um, so it means that we're getting the information sooner to a larger amount of people um, than, than the people that actually rely on the visualized um, information uh, via the documentation. So you can only imagine how long it takes before um, the imitation is created, the formulas are introduced and then distributed uh, to all of our customers uh, compared to how fast we can do that uh, via the digital process. Yeah, thanks for that. I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, it's all about speed and, and convenience. And, you know, I do reflect back and, and consider, you know, how we used to get sort of updates and information, you know, in the body shop. And um, it was always an amazing length of time, you know, until those colors came through, you know, these new colors and so on. And let's face it, we manufacturers today introducing so many new colors, this this real-time information, you know, the time in which we see these cars landing the body shop now is it's much quicker. So, you know, this need for real-time uh, data and color data is absolutely critical. And, and I think, you know, data has become the driver really for everything. And, you know, we can see there how you've explained how time is reduced. But, you know, how else do you see, that, are there some wider benefits from this as well? Absolutely. So with migrating to a cloud information, we actually have now the possibility to turn data into information. So one observation is that historically the information was only pushed downstream. So we collect information from the OEMs, we develop colors and imitations, and then we push that information to our customers. But there actually is a lot of value to understand how that information is used. So the way you learn which information is important and more more importantly which information isn't so it allows you to prioritize developments when you introduce new paint technologies and and in the end we want to make sure that that we spend as little time as possible on the things that that don't matter the things that don't add value to our customers and we spend the most time to the things that do matter to our customers so we want to learn what they use and what they appreciate. And that's why we focus on a platform that facilitates sharing of information um, with us, but also directly with their peers, with their colleagues. Um, so we're creating a network of information that's used by Axonobel and by the peers. So understanding what information is valued by your customers, um, that is vital to proactively recommend and improve our color matching abilities. Um, and that information has become more vital in the industry. Information is our source to remove the overhead from whatever we produce, and we put more priority and effort on the things that do matter. Sure. Thanks for that. Mo moving on to the platform you just mentioned, you know, and how the information is collated. H how do we ensure all of this information is, is ultimately initially collated, controlled, managed? Um, 
Well, the first automation that was around 1975 when when the computers that relied on punch cards were introduced by Axon Nobel. I mean, it's a long time ago. Um, uh, but but then in 1990, um, we introduced Mixit One, and that ran on a DOS computer. Um, and um, later on, we introduced Mixit Micro, Mixit Two, um, and then Color Manager in 2008. Um, and Color Manager is also referred to as Mixit Pro um, or Quick Mix uh, by our customers. But what all of these systems have in common is they run on a local device. So all of the application logic and all of the data um, that needs to be distributed to the user, and that requires processing on those individual devices. So the complication is that you need to support multiple operating systems, and it's difficult to synchronize that information across. And now that we run our applications in a cloud environment via web browser, it allows you to keep that information stored centrally and you only transport the information that is required at that moment. So any device that is capable to connect to the internet and view a web page via browser, of course, now has access to our color information. So it means that a painter can retrieve and store color information conveniently on a phone. Um, and a manager has access to performance dashboards from its home or during travels. So anytime, any place. And the exo-technical reps can access information that is required to deliver support. Um, and our business consultants can zoom in on the customer's processes to identify bottlenecks and then recommend processes. So we want to achieve a technology platform independent system so that you can serve every customer equally, whether he's using a Linux or a Windows or a Mac OS, it really shouldn't matter. Yeah, and you know, that's really important, yeah? That, that digital color, you know, has to help the whole repair and refinish process. You know, this is, this is a key requirement. And, you know, when you think about the, the wider repair management tools that we have, such as, you know, digital tools such as Carbeat, you know, for doing production management and workflow management, you know, it's all about adding more value to the end user and be more involved across the whole business. I think historically, you know, there was always this expectation from a paint supplier that we get involved purely, you know, when the car comes for matching the color and then going through the paint process. But I think it's good to see that, you know, digital uh, tools and digital processes are allowing us to actually have an impact across, you know, the whole business. I want to move on a little bit and I just want to discuss the more emotive topic of color. And mainly, you know, color trends. What are we sort of seeing in this area? So the top five on a global scale is gray, silver, um, black, white, blue, and red. Um, and regionally, you see that that top five all over with only that top five in a slightly different order. So it's more or less the same everywhere. Um, and if you buy a car, personally, you can go for something a little bit more eccentric, um, if that's what you like. But if you lease a car, the color that you're able to choose from is most likely already limited to the colors that will cause the vehicle to devaluate the least. Um, so that's that top five. Um, and that's probably why we see so many neutral colors. 
So those neutral colors will diversify in effect ranges. So that means going from a solid to a pearl three code um, and sometimes even matte for the more premium vehicles. But even on a global level, it's very unlikely that the more eccentric colors like purple or yellow um, will ever be in a top five of colors. Um, so the answer is going to be pretty boring. On a global <laughs> level, it's 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 more equal, more consistent than you'd expect. Yeah, so quite stable, really. And, and, and I think, you know, operating across different regions, you're absolutely right. You know, I'm, I'm located in the Middle East. I, I can pick white out of that oh, yeah. color selection, you know, followed by, followed by typically gray or silver and then, you know, rarely black, you know. But yeah, generally in our travels around the world, I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. This is what we often see. Yeah, the the odd purple or yellow obviously thrown in there, but but it's good to see that those traditional colors are uh, are staying, you know, giving them some stability and these traditional colors keep coming through. Do we I mean, does color really impact, you know, as we see a lot of change in vehicle technology now, does, does color have any part to play in this? You know, we've seen anything happen in that area as we're seeing this new increase in you know, EVs and this type of thing. Does color have a part to play? Uh, potentially, um, because with the introduction of new technologies, um, such as autonomous driving and electric vehicles, it, it could it could very well possibly start a shift in the most popular car colors um, because some colors or coding types, um, they can influence the effectiveness of the technology. So radar, for example, um, if you put uh, a high concentra concentration of aluminums um, in a color, it, it might very well impact um, the radar specification that you do have to guarantee in any repair that you do. Um, so, um, yeah, one example is that electric vehicles range um, are also influenced by the amount of electricity that's routed to technology in the vehicle. So ACs are notoriously power hungry. So keeping that temperature in the vehicle down with a better isolating coating or using more reflective colors, um, that could increase the range of those vehicles because you, you'd, you'd understand that the less you would have to use the, the AC, the less power you're consuming and the more power you can you can put into the motion of the vehicle. Um, so coming back to the example of the radar, um, autonomous vehicles, they really rely on sensors to, to detect any object that you would like to avoid um, in order to avoid a collision, of course. So those sensors use light reflectance to measure the distance to an object. So you'd be using the most reflective colors as well, meaning that anything else but black or other dark colors because, well, dark colors obviously do not reflect very well. They absorb light. Mm. Um, and looking at those technologies, um, the most likely is that the car coatings would turn more reflective with lighter color schemes. But with that said, there are, of course, also more outside-the-box solutions available to overcome the solutions. Um, that while maintaining the current attractiveness of the current color schemes, um, yeah, I'm also sure that um, existing new color properties uh, will be developed in the future. Um, and maybe those will, will be driven by the developments of new technologies or, or they simply are something different that people will find pleasing to the eye. In the end, 
we will have to make sure that we can measure and imitate those colors the best we can um, and have that information available at the time when that vehicle comes into the repair. So that's going to be our main driver. Sure. Thanks for that, Martin. So, so look, really, thank you very much for sharing these experiences and knowledge. I mean, that's a really interesting take on, you know, our color uh, crosses over with new technology. And, uh, um, you know, tell, tell me, in your opinion, what's been the biggest game changer in the move towards digital color? The biggest thing that you've seen in your career that's, that's actually impacted the biggest scene, the biggest thing I've seen in my career um, is the possibility that we can calculate information um, and to put it into a more buzzword um, is artificial intelligence. So the way we're trying to look at color historically is always we try to imitate whatever we've observed in the past which currently is a solution and it works, but you can grow to be more effective if you're able to calculate every given color point that's available. But in order to achieve that particular situation, you would need um, a high capacity computing possibility. So that means that you would be able to pre-calculate every single color point that you can make with the product that you have. And then you would be able to stop measuring what's out in the market. Then you would, you would be able to stop pre-calculating the color formulas that allow a particular imitation that would move you into a position that you're able to calculate on the spot the imitation of an existing color given the color knowledge that you have within a particular product specification. So to put it in a simple term, you would be able to measure a color and in real time calculate the formula to imitate that particular color. And that will be the end um of putting out visual color documentation it would put an end to all of the people that we have walking around on the globe pre-measuring colors to identify which colors on are on the vehicles and where um that's gonna going to mm -hmm. cause a major shift in the way that we work it's going to cause a major shift in the efficiency that we have and we should be able to significantly decrease the cost um, and increase our color matching capacity. Um, sadly, we aren't there yet because color is complicated. It's not just a two-dimensional model. It's actually a three-dimensional model that you would have to calculate. Uh, but eventually, we will get there with um, the latest artificial intelligence uh, intelligence methodologies um, that exist um, and the access to um, an increased computing possibility. Um, so yeah, in my in my expectation, that is where where we will be able to get the most value um, and that is how um, um, yeah things are going to change in the future. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that is, um, I mean, that's certainly another game changer, isn't it? For sure. And, you know, good prediction there for the future. 
And I think, you know, as anything, you know, it keeps moving forward all the time. I think we're going to see a lot more, um, you know, a lot more, um, apart from the stability of colour, I think we're going to see a lot more technology with radar and things like this as we keep moving forward. I mean, ultimately, we we will stay at the front of all this. And uh, with experts like yourself, it's uh, reassuring, you know, to, to hear this today as well, you know, and I'm sure our listeners will be, you know, thankful for hearing about how we're moving towards, you know, have we shifted towards digital colour and what the future holds for us. So, Martina, I'd like to just thank you uh, once again for uh, giving up your time today. I'd like to thank the audience for also listening, you know, to this episode four. Uh, remind everybody that, um, you know, please follow us for our social media channels and also, you know, via Spotify, you can listen to the air podcasts. So these are the automotive industry refinish podcast episodes. Uh, this is a fourth one now in the series. And we'll have more to come. So I'd like to thank everybody. And once again, take care. Stay safe and look forward to uh, you enjoying this episode and seeing you all again in the future. Say bye.